GSConf EU. My name is Nat Allison, and I am going to make all of you fall in love with polyhedra. So, your first question is probably, what is a polyhedron? Well, to, do, to answer that, we can go to Wikipedia, which states that a polyhedron is a solid in three dimensions with flat faces, straight edges, and sharp corners or vertices. Um, for example, some of you may know about the platonic solids, such as the cube and the tetrahedron. They each have a single type of face and are really symmetric, so that whichever way you turn them, you still get the same figure. There are also their relatives, the Archimedean solids, which can have more than one type of face, so you can have maybe triangles and pentagons together, but they're still highly symmetric, and you can still uh, rotate them and still get the same shape. There are also the Johnson solids, which can be made of any regular poly polygon in whatever order. So these can range from a simple square pyramid to a triangular hebisphenorotunda. Um, but anyways, I love polyhedra, and I'm not the only one. They've been used in art, in architecture, in games and film for centuries. They're beautiful and symmetrical and found in nature, but they're simple, but somehow extremely alien to us. But there's another reason that I like them, and it has to do with Pokemon. Um, and this isn't really, it's kind of silly, but not really. Both Polyhedra and Pokemon have lots of uh, data associated with them. Um, Polyhedra have like different groups that are in, symmetries, nets, poly Pokemon have different types and egg groups and movesets, rarities. There's like a buttload of each of them. Um, a lot of unique polyhedra and Pokemon to learn about and discover. Um, and finally, and most importantly to me, they both evolve into each other in really interesting ways. For a Pokemon, evolution is pretty straightforward. The Pokemon usually just gets bigger and stronger. Sometimes you can branch off and evolve to do two different Pokemon or more. But with polyhedra, the transformations are more complicated. You can trim them off or cut and paste them together or do this weird twisty thing called snubification. Um, and there's a lot to discover and a lot to learn. And when I was a kid, I'd spend hours poring over different polyhedra websites, looking at different models in VR and origami, which was really fun, but it also made me kind of sad. Because the thing was, Lots of people know, know and love about Pokemon, me included. In fact, I love Pokemon so much that the first thing I did when I got to Europe was catch Mr. Mime in Pokemon Go, because it's a regional exclusive and I just had to. Um, but not as many people know about Polyhedra, and that's kind of a shame and kind of sad. So I decided that it would be my mission to make the best Polyhedra website that ever was. To visualize them is my real quest, and to understand them is my cause. And today, I'm going to share with you my journey to becoming a polyhedra master. But before that, before talking about code, let's talk about some of the other ways that I've tried to bring my love of polyhedra to life. Um, I went through several attempts, the first of, first of which is origami. It's really cool in RC. I'd see lots of collections online, and I thought, you know, why not make my own? I made like one cube, and then I got a paper cut, and I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, and I got really tired of it really quickly. So I thought maybe I could 3D print them and like make cool jewelry or something. You know, 3D printing technology has advanced a lot. You just need to upload a, mo a model on Shapeways, and oh my god, it's 
too expensive. Uh, so the next step, which logically followed, was writing polyhedra fanfiction. Um, but the less said, <laughs> less said about that phrase, the better. And after this, I decided, you know what? Let me just let me just make a website. That's what I know how to do. So I got started. Um, our journey begins in May 2015. Uh, I was working as an internal tools engineer, uh, making code for engineers to make code for engineers to make code for other people. And it really felt like I was this Pikachu in the generator, just grinding away. Um, so, wait. So I asked my boss. Um, I really wanted to do front-end, and I asked him, "Can I work on front-end stuff?" And he eventually he got back to me and said, "Well, you know, I heard you like this. Um, we have a new project coming up. Um, I have just the thing for you, Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> it's a UI. You should work on that." Uh, needless to say, I was not very happy with that. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. And what better way to do that um, than by making something that I already love? And when I started, I had a bunch of big brain ideas about collecting every single fact about polyhedra on Wikipedia and putting them on my page. I wanted VR. I wanted to do cool transformations, um, transforming them into one another. But that I still had my job doing Jenkins or whatever, and I realized that, you know, in Pokemon, before you challenge the Elite Four, you have to get your first gym badge. So that's what I did. Um, I narrowed it down to something simple, just a modern, updated version of the sites that I loved seeing as a kid, where I could see my favorite polyhedra. I didn't want to make the models for myself, so I just downloaded them from one of my favorite websites. Um, 3JS was kind of too low level for me, and I didn't want to have to struggle with lighting and buffers and stuff. And what I really knew was D3 and its data, mining, data binding model to SVG. And luckily, I found a library called X3DOM, which let me express uh, 3D modeling data as DOM nodes, much like SVG, so I could use that with D3. And it worked perfectly. So it took me about a week of part-time work to get it working. And I'll just bring this over here. And you can see um, I have a little tetrahedron, a cube, an Archimedean solid, um, different Johnson solids, but that was kind of it. Um, let me close this out. I showed it to a few friends, but kind of left it. It was a good start, but it was also like too simple and not really interactive, and I found myself being unsatisfied by it. So fast forward two years later, um, I got fired because I hated Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> I took a sabbatical and I made a video game. Uh, I wrote more fan fiction. Um, and I started a new job um, where I actually got to do front-end. It was Angular 1, but baby steps. Um, I did that for a few months, and we were in the process of switching out our front-end from Angular to React. And I thought that you know, I should be a good little employee and learn about it in a side project. But I didn't want to do like, the basic to-do app that everyone does um, when learning a new front-end framework. So I thought, why not make my old polyhedra viewer into learn React? After all, Nintendo has been remaking the same Pokemon game for decades, and we still love them. Um, so I got started. And it turns out that React is um, being a declarative framework. Is also, it also works really well with X3 DOM, just like D3. Moreover, I found that React um, made it a lot easier to add interactivity, such as adding a configuration panel or a search bar or an actual index page where you can see my collection at once. And I don't have a live version of this running, but you know, again, I showed it to my boss and my teammates, and that was kind of it. Oh, that's really cool. Now, now get back to work. 
Um, it was more interactive, but it was just still aesthetic. You can change the colors, but that doesn't really tell you that much about polyhedra. Like, what I really wanted to do was these cool transitions, but I didn't have time because I was busy refactoring an Angular app, so I had to put it away again. Fast forward another couple of months. Um, in October, I left my job due to burnout and depression and kind of just wanted to take a break from all the coding and focus on my other hobbies, like fan fiction. Um, but uh, somehow writing polyhedra fan fiction did not uh, make me forget about polyhedra. And old habits die hard, and I kept coming back to the polyhedra project and making improvements to it. Um, more specifically, I wanted to arrange the polyhedra into sort of a periodic table based on their properties. And seeing all the polyhedra related to each other and uh, correlated like that made me think, you know what? Why not just do what I wanted to do in the first place? I finally feel like I have the skills to do it, and more importantly, I have the time. So I got started in this, on the long, laborious process of making my final evolution of my polyhedra viewer. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but the very first step was to really um, determine what operations are possible and actually valid. Um, after all, not every Pokémon can evolve or combine into one another, and you don't want to allow freeform transformations between polyhedra as cool as they might look. I already had a pretty good idea about what relationships are for making that periodic table, and when you see a bunch of lines connecting dots like this, you're thinking of, you're looking at a state machine or a graph with the polyhedra as nodes and the operations as edges. And there's a pretty straightforward way to represent this as an object. You can, uh, it's just like an object um, of an object of a list of objects. Um, you just label it with metadata to differentiate between multiple results. Um, but there's a lot of polyhedra and a lot of relationships to encode, and it's all really, um, but luckily it's all really structured, and through an advanced programming technique called for loops, um, we can save time from manually <laughs> coding the entire graph. All right, so now that we have this graph, we can figure out what operation and what options to transform a polyhedron into another one. And this lets you do cool stuff like um, disabling operations. If they're invalid, you can automatically test whether applying an operation leads a result that matches the model that we currently have. You could mock the actual animations and just click around and load the next polyhedron instead of animating them. Um, so now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about the actual transitions. At the beginning, I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what operations or how many I wanted, so it would be nice to have kind of an abstract interface that I can just plug in. So I had to think of myself, think to myself, what is a transition? Well, let's look at what we're actually doing. We're interpolating uh, vertices. We're moving them from a start to an end position, and at either of those points, they might be overlapping. Um, the faces and edges are defined by, their, uh, by the vertices, so we don't, they don't change even if they're invisible at some point or overlap. But there's a problem with uh, doing uh, duplication, and that's that we want to be able to chain operations like this. We want to be able to blow stuff up and contract stuff. And it would be too complicated to keep track of all the duplicated vertices for every single operation that we have. So we pull out an old switcheroo. Much as it's impossible for you to tell which one's the Bulbasaur and which one is a shape-shifted ditto, it's impossible for you to tell which one of these is a duplicate, but one of them has actually extra vertices and faces. And we can actually define an interface that, and as long as our operation functions return 
this interface so we can animate all of them the same way. And the algorithm is, one, replace the vertices with the duplicated versions, which is defined per operation, interpolate from the start to the end vertices, and then switch out the end result with a deduplicated version. And this is kind of what it looks like in code. You just um, use whatever um, state function to, and set it to the start, you interpolate, and then set it to the deduplicated end. And finally, you just need an interpolation function. And there's a lot of libraries that you can use for animation in JavaScript. Half of these probably don't exist anymore because animation in JavaScript is a crapshoot. So, or if you're like me and you're cool, you could Google request animation frame and roll out your own. Um, it's great. So we have our little animation, but we don't have anything to test it on. So let's talk about the actual, actual operations that we're going to make. I'm not going to go over all of them, but I wanted to share one example that's kind of easy, and it's this operation called rectify. What you're doing is turning this cube into this shape called a cube octahedron. Um, you start out with a cube, you mark the midpoints, you draw lines between them, and then you kind of cut them across and slice them off. But we don't want to just like go back and forth. We want a smooth transition. So what we have to do in order to get this smooth transition to animate it, we duplicate each vertex twice so that there are three vertices at each corner. Uh, we pull them to the midpoints, and then if there are two sets of vertices, um, we consolidate them into one. So the algorithm, algorithm is just duplicate and then map to the end. The duplication is kind of annoying and not really interesting. It's just making sure that all the old stuff maps to the new stuff and a lot of cross-referencing indices. Um, finding the adjacent vertex is uh, just picking the one that is not one of your duplicates and then calculating the midpoint through uh, a math library. And finally, you put it all together and return the interface that we just defined. And here we go, squash and stretch. That really wasn't that impressive. I don't know why you all are clapping. Um, so I think I made about like half the operations before realizing math is kind of hard, y'all. Um, in particular, the way that you usually represent polyhedral geometry is through a list of coordinates, which is and a list of faces that refer to the indices of the vertices that are in the faces, which is fine for 3D modeling, but that doesn't always translate well to the math stuff that we want to do. For instance, how do you tell an array to calculate the centroid of a face, or combine two polyhedra together so that the selected faces overlap, or apply the same transformation for the selected pieces or pyramids of the polyhedron in reference to the center of the polyhedron? Uh, it's hard. And what you end up doing is a lot of index manipulation. You're saying the face indices that refer to these vertex indices, you have indices of indices, and I'm so tired of hearing the word indices. Did you know that the plural of index is indices? Well, now I do. Um, <laughs> but how do we solve this problem? Well, for Pokemon, different types of Pokemon are strong against each other. If you're finding a water Pokemon, you have to use an electric Pokemon because that's what's effective. So, and likewise, different types of programming have different solutions. In this case, the solution that we're going to use is object-oriented programming. They definitely have their weaknesses, but they're useful here. Um, you can, of course, encapsulate methods um, in the polyhedra that make sense to them, like getting a centroid or like combining two polyhedra together. You can also keep track of metadata, like the, um, the custom data like vector format that the vertices are stored in. 
And in particular, this is, there's a really useful structure called the doubly connected edge list. Um, it's a linked list where each vertex edge and face has references to adjacent facets. And it was pretty easy to implement using the class structure. Now, I could have stopped making the polyhedron a class, stopped at making the polyhedron a class, but Team Rocket could have stopped trying to catch Pikachu alt, but if they did, Nintendo can't make money um, making the Pokemon anime. So I made everything a class, the vertices, the edges, the faces. I have no idea if that was a good idea or not, but I didn't have to say the word indices ever again, so I was pretty happy. Um, but even with the data structures, a lot of problems are still really hard. For example, determining whether something is an Archimedean solid. Um, sometimes operations do different things based on whether you're a platonic or Archimedean solid. And naively, you can just check if the adjacent faces of each vertex has the same configuration. But there's this asshole called an elongated square gyro bicupola, which looks like an Archimedean solid, and, but it's just slightly twisted. And um, it's really annoying. It's like the Mr. Mime of polyhedra. Um, and to do it right, it's a whole lot more involved. So how do we solve this problem? Well, in Pokemon, there's a mythical Pokemon called Mew that you can only ever get from uh, going to an event in Tokyo. But when I played the first Pokemon game, I couldn't go to Tokyo because I was eight years old. Um, so you can just use this glitch called Missing No to get the Mew much easier. So let's just cheat. We know that there are only 13 Archimedean solids that's been known since the Renaissance. Um, it's actually been proven. So, so since we have that list, why not just list them all um, and check whether it's one of those? And this turns out, making these shortcuts was actually um, a lot really useful in a lot of areas because um, there are a lot of places where it's significantly easier to code when you know what thing you're turning into when you have the graph. Anyways, that's a lot of math, so let's go um, focus on art. Like I said in the beginning, a lot of these polyhedra sites are really old. They're often done by math professors on their spare time. Uh, for example, this is kind of the state of the art of polyhedra websites. I took this screenshot not in 1995, but two days ago. <laughs> They're so old that a lot of them don't even work anymore. You can't even see the polyhedra models or upload them or view them. Um, so I got to work designing to make sure that my website can be a new destination for polyhedra lovers. Um, I wanted to make sure that it worked on mobile phones so you can play with it anywhere or if you don't have access to a desktop. I wanted to make sure that there are a lot of visual aids so you can press around uh, on the buttons even if you don't know what they really do or if you don't know the math lingo. And I made sure to pass all my Google Lighthouse tests to make sure that you can use the site even if you have a bad connection or you have a disability or if you don't have Wi-Fi on a plane and you really need to get screenshots for your presentation at GSConf EU. Um, so after many months of polish and hard work, I was ready to present it. So here's the Polyheat Viewer. Here's the home page. You have that periodic table of polyhedra. Um, showing all of them. Let's start with a simple tetrahedron. You can truncate it, sharpen it, you can augment it, or diminish it. You can do that operation that we coded together called rectification. And you can do that animation where you expand the polyhedron. And you can contract it back into its dual, a cube. And um, finally, you can do this weird thing called snubification, where 
as you can see, is actually expanding out the faces, but adding a slight twist to them. And you can also filter, search and filter, um, change the colors. The color thing is like on my other screen. Or um, look at info about each polyhedron. Anyways, the link is up over there. Um, and so you can just play around with it instead of listening to me for the rest of the talk. Um, where's my mouse? Ah. So I kind of released it and expected it to just sync. After all, polyhedra are really obscure, and the last couple of times that I released it, I just showed it to a couple of friends, and they're like, oh, that's nice, get back to work. But to my surprise, a lot of people loved it. Um, a lot of people I admired on, um, in the development community retweeted it. I got interviewed by math publications. I was able to connect with a lot of people, both in the tech and art and math space, who really enjoyed it. I had parents telling me their kids can't stop playing with it, teachers saying they want to use it to teach their kids about polyhedra in the classroom. I was able to learn about other cool polyhedra projects by people obsessed with other aspects of polyhedra or other polyhedra. Um, and I was able to connect with artists who love polyhedra and expressed it in a different way through their art. But at the end of my long, long journey, the message that I want to impart is, even if you think your passions are too obscure or weird, there's always a way to share it with the world and make other people fall in love with them as well, no matter if it's polyhedra or Pokemon. And it's okay to take your time to evolve and grow whatever your passions are to transform them, and eventually, I'm sure that you can create something amazing. Thank you.